Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, California Pastor Gavin Ortland is leaving his church to focus on his YouTube ministry called Truth Unites, and we'll have some details. Also, Prager University, or PragerU, a conservative media organization known for its five-minute videos on hot-button cultural issues, has grown to a $65 million a year juggernaut. We'll look at how it's done that. And we have the next article in our series of stories on our quarterly survey of ministry leaders. We begin today with news that a Memphis pastor, who was also a former contestant on both American Idol and The Voice, has been arrested for stealing someone's identity and money. Stephen Flockhart is the pastor of 901 Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He was arrested last week on one count of identity theft and one count of theft of merchandise between $2,500 and $10,000. Under Tennessee state law, uh, identity theft is a Class D felony. In 2012, Flockhart was a contestant on American Idol and NBC's The Voice. However, his church website now says God made it clear that he was supposed to walk away from what could have been a very prominent music career and that he was supposed to pastor and lead people to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. An affidavit by the victim obtained by WMC News claims the incident leading to the arrest occurred three years ago. The victim, who was also a church member, claims that Flockhart requested his personal information in order to open a joint credit card for the church's use. Uh, recently, the victim learned that his credit score had dropped significantly, and when he opened uh, a new credit card through PayPal, he found out that he had a nearly $6,500 unpaid bill. The victim claims he confronted Flockhart, who he says admitted to using the victim's name to open the account without his permission. A statement posted on the church's Facebook page on November 3rd said that the church did not find the allegations made by Dana Mark McCall to be factual, and it said the church would hold its Sunday services as usual. Our next story involves a new direction for well-known evangelical pastor Gavin Ortland. Pastor and author Gavin Ortland, who's kind of evangelical royalty, both his father and grandfather are well-known uh, evangelical leaders, is resigning as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Ojai, California, to dedicate more time to his growing ministry on YouTube. Ortland made the announcement in a YouTube video, what else, explaining that there's a heaviness and sadness in stepping away from FBC Ojai, where he's been on the staff since the summer of 2018. But he called this new season a situation where all the stars are aligning. Ortland said this decision allows him to be closer to his families, and it frees him to focus on other ministries. 
His media ministry is called Truth Unites, as I've mentioned earlier, and it's intended as a theological resource to the church and an apologetics voice to the culture. The Truth Unites YouTube channel currently has about 42,000 subscribers. Truth Unites will merge with Renewal Ministries, which is the teaching ministry founded by uh, Ortland's late grandfather, Roy Ortland Sr. The ministry is now headed by Gavin Ortland's parents, Ray Jr. and his wife, uh, Janie. Gavin also will join the staff at his father's church, which is Emmanuel Church in Nashville, a pretty well-known church there where a lot of uh, country and Christian musicians attend. He'll be the the theologian in residence there. Up next is a story of a former student at a Christian school in Florida who claims she was abused by a teacher and that the school not only failed to report the crimes, but hid the information, hoping the scandal would blow over. The student is now in her 20s, and she's referred to in the court documents as Jane Doe to protect her identity. She came forward in 2022. This year, she has sued the teacher, the school, and the church that operates the school. Harriet Sugg, a former teacher at First Academy in Orlando, Florida, is charged with five felonies for sexual abuse of a minor while acting as an authority figure at First Academy, which has a student body of some 1,300 students. First Baptist Church has operated the school since 1987. The student claims that the abuse began in 2014 after Sugg gave a talk at a student chapel on overcoming same-sex attraction and healing from sexual abuse. The student, who was 15 years old at the time, sought help and mentoring from uh, Harriet Sugg, who was 47 years old at that time. The lawsuit maintains that Sugg groomed the student, abused her on school grounds and elsewhere, provided her with alcohol, invited her to live with her and her husband, and took her on out-of-town trips. The abuse allegedly continued for three years. During this time, Sugg wrote letters to the student. These letters are now being used as evidence against her. The lawsuit says the school questioned Sugg about her behavior after receiving reports from teachers, students, and Sugg's husband, and threatened to fire her if she didn't stop her behavior with the student. But Sugg continued seeing the girl, according to the lawsuit, leading the school to fire her in 2016. But leaders did not report her abuse to state officials, a behavior that the lawsuit calls extreme and outrageous, going beyond all boundaries, uh, bounds of decency. Her school either had their head in the sand or just failed to handle any of those red flags appropriately, said the student's attorney, Andrea Lewis. Now, leaders of the school and the church posted a statement on the school's website titled Public Statement Regarding Allegations of Sexual Abuse, and the leaders said that they were saddened by the allegations, but they acknowledged no wrongdoing. Sugg has pleaded not guilty, and her next hearing is on November 16th. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, news about how Christian ministries are mobilizing to help Israelis touched by war in the Middle East. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. 
Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database Uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Although support for Israel has dwindled among younger evangelicals, according to a 2021 poll, it remains a core value for most evangelicals overall. A Pew survey released in May found that finding. Uh, These theological ties to Israel have been accompanied by fundraising and other material support for Israeli municipalities, non-governmental organizations or NGOs, and first responders. Uh, These long-standing connections uh, made it possible for evangelical groups to mobilize literally within hours of the Hamas attack back in October. Christian groups have launched special fundraising campaigns to assist the more than 200,000 Israelis forced to flee their homes following the massacre and ongoing rocket barrages. They have followed up with calls for prayer and by publicizing the plight of Israelis and foreign nationals kidnapped to Gaza by Hamas. I don't think we've ever raised as so much money so quickly, said David Partsons, who is the vice president and senior spokesman for an organization called International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. They've raised millions of dollars, um, a lot of it just in the first days of the war. People are responding like never before, Parsons said. It has been especially moving, he said, to receive donations from unusual places, such as Mongolia, Nepal, and Kazakhstan, where, according to David Parsons, people are poor but still want to help Israel. Aid workers from Bridges for Peace, which feeds thousands of Israelis every month, managed to deliver essentials to people in bomb shelters just a few miles from the Gaza border as air raid sirens were blaring, said Izzy Strauss, the organization's bureau chief in Israel. We're doing whatever needs doing. We have a list of organizations, by the way, Natasha, that score well from Ministry Watch and are doing work on the ground there. And I would really recommend that our listeners pay attention to it because there are some organizations that are very prominent in their publicity, um, such as the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, that we do not recommend giving to. Um, There are lots of organizations, however, we do recommend giving to. You can find that list by going to ministrywatch.com, of course. Warren, this week, our reporter Kim Roberts took a close look at Prager University, or Prager U, as it's often called. It's not a Christian ministry, but a lot of evangelicals both use its videos and contribute millions of dollars to it. 
That's right. In fact, we can even say tens of millions of dollars now. The Prager University Foundation was founded in 2010 and has multiplied rapidly over the last few years. Uh, founded by Dennis Prager and Alan Estrin, the nonprofit organization, and I'm quoting here, promotes American values through the creative use of educational videos that reach millions of people online. From 2010 to 2017, it grew from startup to about $10 million. But since 2017, its revenue has exploded. In fact, last year, it topped $65 million. And according to its financial statements in 2022, it had more than $77 million in assets. So how did PragerU get its start? And to what do you attribute this growth? Well, the answer to both questions is by tapping into the evangelical Christian media market. The Dennis Prager Show, uh, which is, of course, hosted by Dennis uh, Prager, the PragerU founder, is broadcast on the Salem Radio Network, which is a media company that supports many Christian radio stations and a lot of Christian programming around the country. Prager, though, is an Orthodox Jew, not a Christian. He wrote in 2014 in an article in the Jewish Journal about his affinity for evangelical Christians. In fact, he said, over the last 20 years, I've probably spent more, spent as much time with evangelical Christians as with fellow Jews in private settings, speaking in churches, on listener cruises, in my homes, and in their homes, he said. His emails include articles addressing questions like, where is God in tragedy, that likely appeal to Christians. That's right. In addition, the New York Times reported in 2019 that PragerU got significant funding from Dan and Ferris Wilkes, who are billionaire brothers from Texas who are involved in the oil and natural gas industry. Ferris Wilkes leads a church called the Assembly of Yahweh, which is in Cisco, Texas. Ministry Watch reached out multiple times to PragerU to ask about its relationship with evangelical Christians and its plans for the future, but received no reply. PragerU may be most well-known for its five-minute videos hosted by conservative experts, often about newsworthy topics, but has added short documentaries, interviews, and children's programming. The organization got a boost when its content was approved for school classrooms in both Florida and Oklahoma. Now, according to its annual report, PragerU content is watched 5 million times every day. And over the course of a year, more than 26 million unique visitors visit the content's website. I should also add that PragerU's CEO, Marissa Street, has an annual salary of just under a million dollars a year. Estrin, who is the co-founder, is now the executive director. He makes about $327,000 a year. In the Ministry Watch database, PragerU gets only one star for financial efficiency. That's in large part because uh, it does um, hold on to a lot of the assets that are uh, given to it and also because it spends a lot of money fundraising, and it gets a D transparency grade because, of course, it's not a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our next story is an update on Andrew Womack Ministries, an organization we've covered before here at Ministry Watch. Yeah, in 2021, Andrew Womack told his followers to take 
over Woodland Park, which is a mountain town of 8,000 people right outside of Colorado Springs, Natasha. I'm, I'm sure you've been there many times, as I have in my visits to Colorado. Uh, he encouraged his supporters to run in local uh, political races, and a couple of them, in fact, won. Though, so far at least, there's not been anything resembling what you might call a real takeover of the town. In recent months, though, Womack has been making the same argument for Christians across Colorado. He provided a slate of candidates uh, for this most recent election earlier this week. About 30 school districts uh, ran candidates that Womack supported on Tuesday. Uh, they they uh, were trained, these candidates were trained by Transform Colorado, which is a movement launched by Truth and Liberty, Womack's organization. And he says that that organization unites Christian leaders to restore biblical values in the public square. The group is promoting its picks in local churches and through voter guides that include candidate answers to five questions about hot-button topics common to conservative Christian campaigns nationally, which include transgenderism, boys in girls sports, sex education, parental rights, and social studies and history curricula. The effort spans from Colorado Springs, which of course is the state's second largest city after Denver, to remote rural districts such as Holyoke, which is on the border with Nebraska, and Burlington, both of which have seen spikes in the number of candidates this year. As in Woodland Park, where Womack succeeded in getting a number of his candidates elected to the city council, and they gained a majority on the school board, the goal, in the words of one victor in those races, is to oppose what they call the teachers' union and their psycho agenda. And I should probably add that at least one of Womack's candidates won in the Colorado Springs school board race uh, on Tuesday of this week. We're still uh, trying to get results from some of the other races, but I expect that there were some winners there as well. Now, a couple of uh, quick notes before we shift gears, Natasha. In 2019, the last year that Andrew Womack Ministries released its financial statements, it had revenue of $68 million. Its CEO, Billy Epperhart, told the Colorado Springs Gazette a couple of years later in 2021 that revenue continued to grow in a sense topped $100 million. Now, the Truth and Liberty organization, which was founded later in 2019, has its own live-streamed programs featuring guests such as author David Barton, who is also a board member. That organization is much smaller, took in about $1.2 million in 2020. But spokesman Michael Perini declined to provide any additional information when we reached out to him last week. Well, Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. And it's a story of an Ohio man who has pleaded guilty in attempting to burn down a community church of Chesterland in Ohio in an attempt to halt the church from hosting its drag queen story hour. Yeah, the man's name is Eamon Penny. He's 20 years old and he threw two Molotov cocktails at the church on March 25th, the weekend before two planned drag queen events. Uh, he is slated to be sentenced in January and could end up with 20-year prison sentences for violating the Church Arson Prevention Act, which has a mandatory sentence of 
10 years, and of course we're now looking at two counts, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. The federal law was enacted in 1996 following an outbreak of racially motivated church burnings. Penny's attack failed to stop the Drag Queen Story Hour for Children, which went ahead as scheduled on April 1st. That's right. In church leaders... uh, website reported that Penny was a member of the White Lives Matter, which the FBI has labeled uh, as a group with racist and pro-Nazi views. Penny's cell phone showed that he was on church property in the early morning hours of the attack. Officers arresting Penny found gas cans, a gas mask, and Nazi memorabilia at his house. He was charged with one count of using fire to commit a federal felony, one count of malicious use of explosive materials, and one count of possessing a destructive device. Six state legislatures have attempted to ban drag shows and other forms of adult entertainment, but these laws have so far run into legal resistance, uh, including First Amendment uh, challenges. The Community Church of Chesterland, which he attempted to firebomb, is affiliated with the progressive United Church of Christ denomination and identifies itself as an open and affirming church that welcomes people who do identify as LGBTQ. Chesterland, by the way, is a town of about 7,000 people just east of Cleveland. We're in, we need to take another break. When we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we are coming into our year-end giving season. Uh, Ministry Watch has a a big goal this year uh, of more than $110,000 that we need to raise uh, between now and December 31st to stay on budget for the year. If you like what you see on the Ministry Watch website or here in this Ministry Watch podcast, I hope that you will prayerfully consider giving to us uh, during this year-end giving season. And whether you give to Ministry Watch or not, I sure do hope that you will use the Ministry Watch 1000 database Uh, to help you make your year-end giving decisions. Whatever you do, whether you give to us, your church, or to some Christian ministry, we hope you will give generously. We hope you will give wisely. And it's my prayer that Ministry Watch can help you in this stewardship journey. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, according to Ministry Watch's quarterly survey of Christian ministry leaders, nearly 71% Uh, of those leaders are members of a local church and attend that church at least three times a month. But that means that nearly a third are not. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that caused me some concern whenever I saw that finding. But about 15% of those leaders say that their ministry duties keep them away from their church, local church, more than they would like. And only 1% said that he or she was not a member of a local church. Another form of accountability for Christian ministry leaders is involvement with an executive coach, a peer group, or an informal mentor. 
Nearly half of the Ministry Watch survey uh, participants are presently involved in a coaching relationship, mentorship, or a peer accountability group. Uh, 18% pay an executive coach. 21.5% are in a non-paid coaching or mentor relationship. And 7.5% belong to a peer group such as Pinnacle Forum or C12. Nearly 28% are not now and never have engaged in a coaching relationship, while 21.5% are not currently being coached, but they have been in the past. Peter Greer is the president and CEO of Hope International. He's a big fan of coaching. We reached out to him for some comments uh, on these findings, and he said the journey of leadership is not one that you should walk alone. Uh, Greer took the reins of Hope International when he was just 29 years old and recognized that there were significant gaps in his own knowledge and experience. And he said that after reading a book called Connecting by Paul Stanley and and Robert Clinton, which encouraged building mentoring relationships, Greer began to look for mentors to help in different areas of his life and career. Greer believes in a constellation model for mentoring that focuses on learning from a variety of different people and building a coalition of guides. Mike Shero is the president of C12, which is a peer advisory group serving Christian CEOs. And by the way, Natasha, I should probably mention in a spirit of full disclosure that for a number of years, I was involved in a C12 group and found it to be very helpful. Um, he said that he was not surprised by the Ministry Watch survey results. He said that ministry leaders are often focused on the mission of the organization and not necessarily the business and organizational side, and that he believes Christian ministry executives can benefit from a peer-to-peer -peer relationship that's fostered through a group like C12. Well, moving on, who is in our ministry spotlight this week? Well, we wanted to focus on Awana Clubs uh, International. Uh, a, lot, a lot of our listeners might remember Awana because they used to have Wednesday night uh, meetings at a lot of churches around the country. Uh, those meetings have diminished fairly dramatically over the years because we don't have a lot of Wednesday night services in churches anymore. But Awana is still going strong, we found out this week. It was founded in 1941 as a children's program. Um, and the word Awana, for those of you that are not familiar with the organization, is an acronym. It means approved workmen are not ashamed. And it's taken from 2 Timothy 2.15, which of course says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Since Awana's start, it's grown, as I said, more on the international side than domestically in recent years. It's now in 133 countries, 68,000 churches worldwide, though only about 8,000 here in the United States still anymore. Uh, Awana's 193 employees provide equipment, training, and resources for evangelism and long-term discipleship. Should also add that Awana gets great scores from Ministry Watch, 90 out of 100. Uh, for a donor confidence score, which means that you can give with confidence and an A transparency grade, which is our top grade in that area. And who did Christina highlight in Ministries Making a Difference? 
Water Mission uh, has raised more than $860,000 to provide clean water for people around the world through its Walk for Water events. Uh, The walks, which are intended to simulate the three miles that many families have to walk each day because they lack access to safe water, have been hosted by more than 40 communities worldwide, from California to Europe, even in Thailand, they have a Walk for Water event over the past year. Water Mission, by the way, has four out of five stars and a transparency grade and a top uh, donor confidence score of 100 out of 100. Warren, any final thoughts before we go? I do want to mention to our listeners that we are entering into a crucial time of year for Christian ministries, including, I should add, Ministry Watch when it comes to fundraising. We need to raise about a quarter of our budget uh, here at Ministry Watch, that's about $110,000 before the end of the year. And uh, we're not alone. Some ministries raise as much as 30 to 40% of their budgets just during the last two months of the year. So if you'd like to help us reach our year-end goal, we'd be grateful. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. But, you know, whether you give to us or not, we do hope that you will use our database to help you make giving decisions and that you will give wisely and generously during this year-end season. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Daniel Ritchie, Michelle Chabin, Rod Pitzer, and Christina Darnell. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.